Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you will, please turn in your Bibles to John, the 12th chapter. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 17. I'm reading from the American Standard, New, New American Standard Version. <clears throat> this is when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, by the way. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the time. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that those things were written of him and that they had done these things, or the, excuse me, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. Good morning, church family. I hope everyone is doing absolutely perfectly well. It is really great to have everybody with us today. Very glad you're here with us to worship God. And uh, we are continuing to think about Jesus all year in 2023. Our theme for this year is entitled For Him. We're going to continue to explore that now with uh, the new series that we're starting today. Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. You know, that song that we just sang is sung all over the world. It is uh, often the, the favorite song of children all over the world and beloved by adults as well. It has been translated into so many languages, I don't even know the number, uh, but it is one that most people in the world know this song. And uh, certainly in Western civilization in the United States, even folks that don't believe in Jesus and don't follow Jesus, they know this song. And so the song, Jesus Loves Me, is communicating the gospel in a powerful way to people of all ages all over the world, and in that we rejoice. The song was originally written by uh, Anna Bartlett Warner, and it was part of a poem in the context of an 1860 novel by her sister called Say and Seal. And uh, the words were spoken in that book as a comforting poem to a dying child. And of course, uh, later, 1862, the tune was added to it by uh, William Batchelder Bradbury. And along with the tune, he added the chorus, Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. By the turn of the century from the 19th to the 20th century, uh, this was already one of the most popular Christian hymns in all of the world, especially in Sunday schools, especially among children. And so we're going to think about what this song has to say to us over the course of this month, and more than just the song, we're going to think about the fact that Jesus does love me, and that Jesus does love you, that Jesus loves us, 
and what that says about us and what it ought to say about how we live our lives. But first of all, let's think about the words of this song. And these are the original lyrics. And of course, you see four verses there in the original version. Uh, verse 1 uh, looks, well, just the same as what we sing today. So, you know, you're probably very familiar with that, top left. The second verse, top right, again, we just sang that a moment ago. The, the, the third and fourth verses you see there on the bottom, some of us are familiar with, most of us are probably not. But when you read the original wording there, the third and fourth verses, you can see how this was originally in a, a poem that was recited in this, in this book to a child that was dying, and how the message of this song was meant to comfort this dying child. And I think those are beautiful verses, but they, of course, speak to a particular situation which we certainly would hope that most of us are rarely experiencing, and certainly we want to comfort those who have experienced that as much as we can. The version that I was raised on, uh, generally we sang three verses, and the first and second verse, again, the same as we sing today, but the third verse was a little different when I was growing up, and probably this is true for most of you that are my age, and maybe a little bit younger, and those that are older. You remember how the last line said, uh, well, the last two lines, Thou hast bled and died for me, I will henceforth live for thee. Now, I really do like that version because of the bold statement that it makes. It says, I will do this. I will do this. And I think that that's a, a very bold statement. It doesn't matter really to change. It doesn't make the song right or wrong or scriptural or unscriptural. But uh, somewhere, sometime along the way in the last couple of decades, somebody somewhere that obviously had a lot of influence decided that the word henceforth is too big a word for kids. And so it got changed to kind of the, the easier version we know today. I just want to give a challenge to the children in this room and that is that sometime today, if you can look up the word henceforth and find out what that means, come tell me the definition of the word henceforth, and I will uh, give you a pat on the back and tell you you're awesome, all right? So for what that's worth, uh, you can do that today if you want to be challenged by that, all right? But the version that we normally sing, we just sang there a moment, ends with the line, I will try to live for thee, and, and certainly we ought to all be trying to live for Jesus, all right? So Jesus loves me, that's the song. But the question that we want to ask as we begin this series is, are the words of the song, Jesus Loves Me, are they true? Now, we read the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. On a similar note, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Now, what Paul means by this is that it is certainly important for us to, to be in the Spirit of God, in covenant relationship with God, in order for our praises to be acceptable to Him. We definitely ought to want to be in, in, in we might say, in the spirit of a song, that is, just caught up in the joy of singing it and, and just really being encouraged and lifted up by it, and, and all of that is important. But Paul said that, uh, that as much as that is important, we cannot just sing words without thinking about what they mean. And part of the reason uh, for that, he communicates in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, where he says, by the Holy Spirit, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Admonishing uh, for the sake of you kids means to make a strong appeal to someone that they should do what they ought to do. So in our songs, 
We are letting the Spirit of Christ, the Word of Christ, dwell within us to, to have its way through us, to communicate through us, and we thus teach each other with the songs that we sing. And we admonish or we strongly encourage each other to, to be Jesus' people for real and to embrace the truths of the gospel for real and to live out you know, the life of Christ for real in our songs and hymns and spiritual songs as we sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. But notice verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is a comprehensive command that teaches us that every aspect of our lives, thought, word, deed, every aspect of our lives is to be brought under the Lordship of Christ which means that we want to seek the authority of Christ for everything that we think, everything that we say, and everything that we do. Now listen, it's not because Jesus is the big old mean hall monitor in the sky who wants to slap you across the wrist with his divine ruler every time you make a mistake. That's not the case at all. It's because Jesus' way of thinking is the only correct way of thinking. Jesus' way of speaking is the only sinless way to talk. Jesus' way of living life is the only way to live life that actually fulfills the commandment of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, that we be imitators of God as beloved children. Jesus is the imitation of God the Father, and if you're going to imitate your God and Father, you're going to do it like Jesus did. There is no other way. It is the only way. And so, therefore, we're going to seek the authority of his example, the authority of his word, to make sure that we are walking in step with his will. And so, even in our hymnology and the songs that we sing, we need to make sure that the things that we're saying are, in fact, biblically true, that they are, in fact, uh, underneath the lordship of Christ and thus giving him the glory, uh, speaking the truth as we sing these songs together. So, let's ask the question, are the words of Jesus loves me truth? Are they biblical truth? Are they sound doctrine? Jesus loves me. This I know. This I know. Does the Bible enable us to know that Jesus loves us? Well, you probably already know the answer to that question if you've known this song for very long, but we'll explore that more fully in just a moment. But little ones to him belong. They're weak, but he is strong. Don't you remember the words of Jesus? He said, let the little children come unto me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. In other words, all children are born in innocence and they belong to Jesus. They are his. And like the little child dying in the story that led to the original composition of this song, it is the saddest thing in the world when little children I have to die while they're little children, but the, the comfort that we can receive is that all children go to heaven, and that is a fact that is biblically true, and it's what enables us to handle the grief of losing a child if we're forced to go through that, as some of you I know have, and I definitely sympathize with you. But uh, Jesus loves me, second verse, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide, that is so biblically true. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Absolutely, the Bible teaches us that it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that God washes away our sin. When one makes confession of the good confession of the faith in Jesus and makes a decision to give him their lives, uh, that, that culminates in the act of baptism for a person that has reached an age of responsibility or accountability. And in that process, the Bible tells us in Acts 22 and verse 16 that God washes our sins away. So we see the song again is teaching biblical truth. And finally, that third verse is just a prayer. Do you see that? 
We're praying to Jesus when we sing that line. Jesus, take this heart of mine, make it pure and holy thine. In other words, Jesus, would you please help me to be more fully yours? Would you help me to be more completely your servant? Would you help me so that my heart, that my mind, will become more perfectly converted so that as I make this effort to live for you, Jesus, you'll help me to do it better and better and better all the time. That is absolutely a legitimate prayer to pray, a biblical prayer to pray, so we can say that the words of the song, Jesus Loves Me, are certainly biblically sound. This is sound doctrine. It is a worthy song to teach one another, and it is a worthy admonition to one another. And so we're definitely going to enjoy the, the encouragement that this, we're going to sing Lord with him. We're going to sing Jesus Loves Me before the sermon every Sunday in this series. All right, so we'll sing it over and over again. So anybody that may be just fresh, new, you know, our youngest people in this world that may not even know the song yet, hopefully by the end of April, Lord willing, they'll know it and know it well. We need to hear this, brothers and sisters. There are several things that we need to hear. We need to hear repeatedly that Jesus rules me. Each of us need to know that, that fact in our lives, those three words, Jesus rules me. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every person has embraced the rule of Christ or is, is humbling themselves and accepting the right that Jesus has earned to be our Lord and King and obeying Him in life, although every person should. But it, it doesn't mean that He isn't their ruler. In, in, in the Matthew's account of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18, our Lord Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. He confirms that. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, verses uh, uh, 9 and 10, to, well, through 11 to get the context, the Apostle Paul writes, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, verse 9 of Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Romans 10, again, verses 9 through 11. You see, in, in the heart of that passage, the Bible tells us that at the core of the good confession that every person needs to make in order to, to embrace Jesus, to, to become a follower of Jesus. Every person is called by God to make the good confession. And at the core of the good confession is the recognition of and the acceptance of the Lordship of Christ. And so we see this in this passage. Jesus rules me, and that's true. He rules us all, every one of us, and he has a right to. Jesus also saves me. This is something that we need to hear repeatedly. And something we need to learn how to share this truth with the world. In 1 Peter 3, verse 21, and we'll go ahead and get verse 22 as well for context. The Apostle Peter says, baptism, which corresponds to this, that is, knowing his family being saved through water on the ark. That's the context that precedes this verse. So baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, Peter writes. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Notice through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And so when we think about salvation, and I chose this particular passage, uh, it says baptism saves us. We already looked there in Romans 9, Romans 9, we saw that, that our belief in Christ, our confession 
of the faith, saves us. 1 Peter 3 tells us baptism saves us. It's not either or, it's all and. And that's what we continue to teach. But even as we think about the saving power of baptism, this passage teaches us it's not because there's anything special in the water. Now you can get baptized in this chlorinated, wonderfully warm, convenient baptistry, and that's perfectly fine with God. You can go down to the lake and get baptized in that filth if that's what you want to do. But it's perfectly right with God. All right, it doesn't matter where you get baptized in muddy water or clean water. It, it just, that's not the issue. The water is not the issue. Honestly, brothers and sisters, the obedience is not the issue on the part of the believer. It's essential, but that's not what saves. What saves the person who through faith is baptized into Christ is the Christ into whom we are baptized. We're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. And that is the saving power of baptism in the gospel. And so we need to be reminded that Jesus rules us, that Jesus saves us, that Jesus guides us. I love the context of Matthew 23, verse 8. I won't say that it is uh, Jesus at his nicest, uh, but it is Jesus at his sharpest, we might say. When it finally came to the point for him to preach a sermon against those scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites that had been hindering his ministry all through his public ministry. But, but Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 8, to all of those that were listening, his primary, the primary rebuke was to the Pharisees. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi. And that is the Hebrew word for teacher. It just means teacher. So it's you are not to be called rabbi or teacher, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Now, this, this is a little bit of hyperbole, and, and if you look at the whole of the biblical account, you'll recognize it doesn't mean it's wrong to call a brother or sister in Christ in the church who teaches a teacher. That's not what Jesus is saying. What, what he's talking about is the tradition among the Jews to, to elevate certain of their teachers above others, and they were the ones that they would call rabbi or even rabboni, which meant great teacher. And Jesus is saying, you need to understand that there is, in fact, only one person who is truly qualified to teach you in an authoritative and in a sinless way that is without error in any way, shape, form, or fashion. All right? And it is not me. I am a mere mortal man, and I make mistakes sometimes, just like you do. And so you ought to search the Scriptures to see whether the things that I'm teaching are so. But what you're going to be doing when you search those Scriptures, you're going to be looking to what Jesus has to say on the subject. Because brothers and sisters, He is ultimately our one true and only teacher of righteousness. We need to be reminded of that. Jesus, He uh, rules us, He saves us, He guides us. He knows us. Maybe you know John 10, verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Man, I like that statement, don't you? It is so good to know that Jesus knows me personally. It is good to know that Jesus knows you personally. In fact, he knows you inside and out, backwards and forwards, upside down and right side up. He knows what you want him to know. He knows what you don't want him to know. He knows literally everything that you have ever thought, said, or done, or will. He knows you more intimately than any person in your life. Jesus knows you. But listen, all of these things together are what makes that last phrase to me the most powerful of all. 
Jesus loves me. This I know. We need to be reminded that Jesus rules us so that we will sublimate our wills to his, that we will humble ourselves and accept his lordship, his righteous lordship in our lives. That needs to be done. But you know what? You can do that without a lot of connection and without a lot of feeling. We need to be reminded that Jesus saves us and there is salvation in no one else. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. We need to noise that message abroad and everyone in the world needs to hear it repeatedly because there is salvation in no one else. We need to obey the gospel of Christ and to be saved and have our sins washed away and that is so important. Uh, but again, you can do that in a context of being terribly afraid of God and not feeling all that close to him. Jesus guides us. We need to be reminded that he is our teacher. And if we would know the truth, we're going to find it from Jesus and we'll find it from no other source. Ultimately, we've got to be reminded of that. But again, you know, I can read the word of God and not feel very close to God. And maybe I can even beat myself up for the million ways that I'm failing to live up to the example of Christ. Amen? Jesus knows me. And now the message of the gospel is starting to become very personal. My king actually knows me. How many subjects of earthly kings in, in the world today or in past civilizations in the times of our ancestors, wherever it is in the world they came from, they all came at some point in history from an environment in which they had kings. They had a king or a queen who would reign over them from some distant place. And the vast majority of the people reigned over by these kings and queens would never ever actually meet their king or queen in their whole life. And that person would live in opulence there in the palace, in the capital city, wherever it was, uh, the chief village, wherever it was, somewhere. And the people would know that they were ruled. They would know that they had a king, but they wouldn't know their king. The Bible tells us that our king knows us, and he draws us into covenant relationship with him so that we can come to know him. But I will tell you what. The fact that Jesus knows me better than anyone else knows me is what makes those three words, Jesus loves me, so powerful. Because I realize he loves me in spite of so much that he sees in my mind and in my heart and in my life. Boy, that's powerful. I think we need to hear the message that Jesus loves each one of us personally. Do you know that today? Man, I hope that you know that Jesus loves you today. As I was putting these thoughts together, it made me think of the song by Chris Tomlin, written by Chris Tomlin, How Can I Keep From Singing? And you know the line, we've sung this here a number of times, but uh, part of the song says, How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? And, and notice where all of this comes to in this wonderful recognition and this proclamation that we proclaim together, we recognize together, and we proclaim together as we sing the words of hymns like this, I know I am loved by the King. And it makes my heart want to sing. You know, any of those people living in the cultures of our ancestors from past period of times, if they had gotten a a special letter, a special note, a special word from the king would have made them feel so honored, so connected to what 
to made their nation into a nation, to the, to the best and brightest of their people. And brothers and sisters, that is precisely what God has done for us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It needs to be said, and you need to recognize this, no one can or will ever love you more than Jesus. This is not possible. Listen, please listen. I, I want everybody to listen. You kids, listen especially. You need to understand this truth. Jesus loves you more than your daddy does, more than your mama does. Jesus loves you more than your brothers or sisters do if you have them. He loves you more than your grandparents do. I understand if you've got grandparents that believe in spoiling their grandkids, good for you. That's the kind I had and I'm grateful for. If God blesses me to live long enough to see grandkids, I will spoil them ugly rotten. All right? It's my plan. Send them home to get their spankings. It's what my grandparents did with us. You know, so from a kid's perspective, you may think nobody in the world loves me more than grandma, grand, grandpa, grandmama, granddaddy. But listen, that love that you get from people like that in your lives is just a shadow of. It's just a reflection of the love that's in Christ. And if you recognize how great that kind of love is, the imperfect love we experience among our loved ones in this life, our, our families and our church family, if you can recognize how good that love is, and if you can realize what the Bible teaches us, that it's just a reflection of a shadow of, a fragment of the love that Christ feels for us, that he feels for you and for me, then I think that you will have little choice but to pursue uh, meeting Jesus, coming to know him, understanding and believing him, being saved by him. He loves you so much. And, and in fact, it is the love of Christ that has taught parents how to love their children. It is the love of Christ that has shaped grandparents so that they love their grandchildren. It is the love of Christ that is living through brothers and sisters that actually do love each other and encourage each other and don't just want to beat each other up. Although Jesus will even redeem those who do because he loves them in spite of the fact that they're knuckleheads sometimes. And that is the beautiful love of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But hold on. I want you to recognize that there's a sense in which Jesus did so much more than that. Because when Jesus laid down his life for you and for me, he actually laid down his life for his enemies that he chose to regard as friends. Are you hearing that? Jesus died to save his enemies and to make them his friends. And no one has ever shown greater love than that. Every true concept of love that we understand and embrace today in, in, in our world, in our lives today, ultimately comes from Jesus or it is not true love at all. And just as Jesus loves us more than our mamas and daddies and grandmamas and granddaddies and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and church family and everyone who loves you, just as he loves you more than anyone else does, so we are called to respond to him by loving him more than anyone in our lives. I must love Jesus more than my wife or I will eventually not love my wife. Jesus teaches me how to love. I don't teach me how to love. What do I know? Jesus is the one who has demonstrated perfect love. He teaches me how to love. He teaches me to love my wife. 
to love my sons, to love my mother, my father, my grandparents, God rest their souls, my aunts and uncles, all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're family in Christ. Jesus teaches me to love you, and I love Jesus more than I love you. And I must, and you must, or else, in the end, we won't love each other at all. It is the love of Christ that shapes us and teaches us and enables us to love, which reminds me of another song we sometimes sing, which is just this one verse that Paul wrote in Galatians 2 and verse 20, in which he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, listen, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that, brothers and sisters, is the Christian worldview. Jesus' love for us is the basis for our love. It is what gives us hope. The love of Christ is our very lives, and it is our world view. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4 and verse 19. Brothers and sisters, we see the world through the lens of Christ, which means that we are called as Christians, as Christians, to see the world through love colored glasses. This is the call of the church of Christ to be the embodiment of the love of Christ and to be able to share this love with each other and with the world. I want to ask you all this morning, if you're here and you're of an age of an accountability, which means you know right from wrong, good from evil, and you are aware that you have willingly committed evil and sinned against God, and you understand that one day you will stand before his throne of judgment, and you will give an account for your life. And if you realize you've got sins in your lives, you need to be saved. You need to accept the lordship of Christ. You need to seek salvation through Christ. He will guide you into salvation. He will teach you the way that you are to go. He already knows you. He already knows what you need. His plan is sufficient to meet your needs. He loves you and wants you to respond. Will you make the good confession today and embrace the Lordship of Christ? Today will you obey the commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins through the resurrection of Jesus. Your resurrection will become sure on judgment day and in the meantime he will empower you to live a new and wonderful life full of his love and truth, the greatest things in the world. This morning if you are a baptized believer and you need the prayers of this church for your encouragement, the front pews are open, don't delay. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.